Welcome back to another Bastards Hot Stove edition of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Red Sox GM search, some stuff in regards to the organization, um, a little bit of Cora talk perhaps, and a little bit of Dombrowski talk perhaps uh, with, with what he's been doing out in Philly. So uh, this should be a, a pretty entertaining show. Micah Storms with me for this episode. How are you, Micah? I'm doing good. I, uh, I, I'm enjoying the playoffs, but I'm at the point now where like I really miss just watching the Red Sox. Um, so like I'm dying for any type of actual news. And I would say the this person turned down a job for the GM position. I'm kind of sick of those uh, those messages because we've been getting them for the last two weeks. I'm over them. Yeah, the Red Sox front office keeps getting told to lose all these people's numbers, you know, and uh, that's Kim Ang. We'll probably talk about her uh, in a bit. So uh, Sam Kennedy told the media uh, a few days ago, or maybe two days ago, he expects the second round of interviews uh, to be held uh, starting early this week. So could be Monday uh, for the listening audience. And during this second phase, it's going to involve ownership uh, this time. So they're going to be able to size up uh, the candidates uh, that they have. So I don't think we're going to be hearing any new names at this point. Uh, the other day, we did hear that Gabe Kapler had interviewed, and it seemed to be a couple days after the fact that we all found that out. Uh, hard pass for me, hard pass for you as well on Kapler. Hard pass, yeah. He uh, he failed miserably in Philly, uh, and then remarkably Philly went to being a really good baseball team after he got fired um, for the most part. And then uh, San Francisco, he had one really good year and he just hasn't been able to build anything consistently. Uh, I know he's an analytics guy, but I just, if you can't make it as a manager, I just don't know what would be the reason to believe that you can lead a front office. I'm just, I don't see what that would be. Absolutely. Broad record of failure uh, in regards to Kapler's uh, history uh, as a manager, another guy we agreed hard pass on Neil Huntington. I mentioned in the last show, he infamously traded Tyler glass now in Austin Meadows for Chris Archer, who already was on the, like the steep downside of his career. So probably not the worst trade of all time, but certainly one of the uh, worst of the last decade or so. Uh, so we're out on him. So let's let's talk about uh, a few of the more prominent names. Um, one of them, uh, I've spoken about this on the last show. I haven't budged. Thad Levine is my number one, you know, slam dunk guy. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think Levine would probably be my number one. I think he's just the safest option of the the people who are um, still in the race for the position. Um, he's done a good job with Minnesota. Um, they, they seem to find pitching. He's willing to make trades, um, which I think I've Red Sox fans. I feel like they've been just dying for a trade 
over the last couple of years and we haven't gotten one. So that's a good quality to have. And if you can make Minnesota uh, a pretty consistent contender, then what could you do with Boston's resources? I'm really curious about that. So Levine would be my number one, um, but I just don't love any of the options. I I wouldn't say I love Levine, but I feel like if he were to be the guy, I would say, okay, well, I think we, we can get back on track with him for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's as experienced as it gets. I mean, he was the assistant general manager with the Texas Rangers to John Daniels, uh, in 20, basically 2007 through 2016, two of those years, 2010, 2011, the Texas Rangers went to the world series. Uh, so pretty good. They also, um, went back to the playoffs in 2015, 2016, Cole Hamels was uh, a, a very notable trade uh, that they did while he was uh, in the Texas Rangers front office. Uh, and really through that 2016 season, uh, Hamels was a very solid pitcher. He might have been a number two towards the end of that. But but yeah, and you know when you look at Heim's shortcomings... I think Levine checks off all the boxes for, for all the stuff that, that Bloom never demonstrated. Levine has certainly been in the room when big trades went down, you know, and he's been in the room when massive signings happen. Like these aren't going to be foreign things. These are concepts he's used to. It's uh it's a language that he knows. So I just, he he's he's my number one guy and the only guy i've really liked more throughout this whole process was brandon gomes and unanimously all six of us wanted him so despite the people that have dropped out levine would probably be my number two in there you know all along Another trade that took place uh, in during his time in Minnesota, which he's he's been there. He's been the number two uh, executive in that front office since 2017. But that Nelson Cruz, Joe Ryan trade, phenomenal, phenomenal. So, I mean, he's he's clearly knows who to identify, you know, in terms of pitching targets. So. I would be surprised. And, and when you look at when you look at all the rest of them, I mean, he's the safe pick. He's he's the safest pick. Yeah, you bring up um, you brought up Neil Huntington early on and you mentioned the trade that he got fleeced by Tampa. And, you know, Levine did the opposite. He fleeced Tampa. Like you, you just don't see front offices do that to the Rays. They usually are the ones that are just stealing players and turn them into all-stars. Um, so I feel like for Levine, if he's going to capitalize on the idea that the twins ended their long playoff drought with, they finally got a win. Um, I feel like this would be the time to capitalize on that. I just don't know if Boston is that, spot you know be just because of the way the organization is right now he might say yeah i don't know if i want to take that but for him to to take that next step to a bigger job i feel like right now is the perfect opportunity for him and the other interesting thing about levine is 
he's notorious for rejecting opportunities like we're seeing with everyone else. He turned down the Astros in 2011. He turned down the Philadelphia Phillies in 2021 or late 2020, whenever the, the hiring happened. And I, I, there was one other team in there. I want to say it was the Mets. Don't quote me on that. It was the Mets. Okay. He did turn them down. Yeah. So it's interesting that suddenly he's interested in Boston, who's turned everyone else down. So I don't know. I don't know why he's interested. We ha- As far as we know, he's still in play. Um, so it, it just makes me curious. Like, what's the holdup? What are all these people finding out that they're just not interested in is it the fact that they feel like they're going to be on a short leash could it be the money because i would figure whatever i don't know what these guys get for pay i'm guessing it's at least three or four million or so would be the average salary of a top executive but i would imagine that it's a steep drop off after that i don't think the you know the assistant GMs are making a ton, you know, probably more than a million. But so it's just it's just curious to me why they're all not wanting it. But Levine has is as far as we know still in play. Yeah, and I I think Boston. If you take away the the front office part of it, I mean, obviously that's a big component. But like the team itself, the core is there. The, the core is put together. Um, they have to add pitching, but they have the financial flexibility to do that. So if you're, if you're really focusing on bit, building a winning team, Boston's a pretty good opportunity. The resources are there. Um, the farm system is there. So if you feel you need to make a trade or two to improve the roster in that regard, you can do that. So it should be a very... Um, intriguing option for a general manager to want to switch to Boston. I just think the front office is is really pushing people away, which is a shame. We'll get back to that. I, I have I have more thoughts on that, but but like I said, to me, Levine, the slam dunk guy, the safe pick. Um, we're in a good spot, like you said. We're well under the luxury tax. Farm system's decent, at least in terms of bats. And, um, you know, there's there should be money to spend. Uh, second on the list, and um, I wasn't thrilled, and, and I even in the last show questioned the legitimacy of his candidacy. That's Craig Breslow. Um, when his name was brought up, I thought he was simply coming in to basically overhaul the Red Sox pitching program. Like, that was going to be his job, similar to Chicago and he does have um, a residence in either Massachusetts or Connecticut. He lives fairly close by. Um, So you could see why that might be attractive to him. But, but as we have found out since the last show, he is a legitimate candidate to possibly take over Red Sox operations. And at first I was like, I'm not a huge, like it sounds like a huge risk because there's no track record to judge him on. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't had the front row seat to, you know, the various types of transactions that a guy like Thad Levine would have. But from a pitching standpoint, I mean, he looks like he could 
play a huge role in overhauling your program and probably know exactly who to bring in to help do that. But what what are your thoughts on Breslow? I mean, we know Breslow is a very intelligent guy. Um, I believe he went to an Ivy League school. Is that correct? Yale. Same as Blue. Yeah. So, I mean, well, <laughs> well, you, but you know he's an intelligent guy, and he's been with the Cubs over the last couple of years. And you look at some of their successes in the rotation. Steel, I mean, that guy turned himself into a Cy Young candidate, and nobody really thought of him more than a number five starter. Um, they were able to also bring in Marcus Stroman during the time he was there. So, I mean, I think that says something. So he's been around the discussions. There's no question about it. Uh, even if you look at the Cubs drafts, they've uh, their first round picks, I think two out of the five or three out of the five have been first rounders. They've been pitchers. So he definitely values pitching. Um, and I think with Breslow, the, the comp that if you are a believer in him that you're going to compare him to is Chris Young of the Texas Rangers because he didn't have a whole lot of background prior to getting that job. But Chris Young has been a slam dunk with the Rangers. Um, they're now in the ALCS. So I think Breslow's intriguing, but there's the complete unknown. It could go really, really bad. Um, but I do think it could also go really well. So I think it's kind of wait and see. I think if you were to name if you were to name Breslow as the president of baseball ops or um, the chief baseball officer, whatever they want to label it, I, I feel like you would need someone who's been in the organization as the general manager. So that way there's some familiarity there. And, you know, he would have someone who hopefully has experience to kind of guide him because he will be brand new to this role. Um, and, and we've stated multiple times how this off season in particular, you don't get a, an off season to kind of get a feel for the position or, you know, let's see how the first year goes because the Red Sox have finished in last place three out of four years. They really can't afford to miss on year one of somebody's first off season. You mentioned, uh, Justin Steele. I mean, he's 28 years old. I didn't realize his 2022 was actually fairly decent as well. Uh, the Cubs weren't that good, so perhaps he just wasn't on my radar. But uh, in, in 2023, he had a 3.06 ERA, 173 and one-third innings pitched, uh, 30 starts, which used to be the benchmark every year. You're seeing that less and less now due to injuries and precautions and all that load management, I guess, would have been the better term. Uh, Marcus Stroman been steady, just like you said. He did have a three nine five ERA. I, I think that kind of ticked up towards the the very end of the year, but very solid. Another thing that's notable here: Kyle Hendricks in the Cubs organization under you know Breslow's guidance throughout their pitching program. Had a, had a career resurgence, a 3.74 ERA, 24 starts. And it's nice to see that because there are some guys on the current staff you'd like to see fixed. You know, maybe maybe a guy like Breslow can can help Tanner Houck get through that order for the third time. You know, maybe it's going to be a guy like him to to erase all doubt that Tanner Houck uh, is a starting pitcher. 
And I mean, I'm still on the fence as it is. I mean, I've been on record saying I'll give Hulk one more year. If he doesn't figure it out, I'm going to be resigned to the fact he's simply a reliever. But so th- there's a lot of things about Breslow that intrigue me. You mentioned Chris Young and he's gotten a lot of credit and I'm not saying the credit's like undeserved, but I never would have signed Jake DeGrom. I mean, he gave him a five-year deal, $185 million. Basically, two years of that is in the toilet. Um, Nathan Avoldi has worked out okay. His second half was brutal, but he's he flipped the switch when the playoffs started, so I guess that's all that matters. But not another signing that I'm in love with. Um, Marcus Simeon, seven years, the... You know, he'll be 37, 38 as that's expiring. I'm not a big Corey Seager guy. I just not not a good record of health uh, throughout his career. So to sign him through his age 40 season, I think. So I, I think the early part of Chris Young's tenure is going to be good, but I don't know how kind history will be with him um, as, as some of these contracts age out. I certainly wouldn't want Breslow to make huge moves like that. Like I would get really uncomfortable with it. I mean, it's hard because the Rangers really were not in win now mode with their farm system. So, but they, their ownership group clearly wanted them to get back to winning. So it's, how do you do that? If you don't have the farm system and the the young players ready to do that, so they went on the free agent market and they essentially bought the, the pieces they needed. And I mean, I'm a huge Corey Seager fan. I agree with you with the health is a, is a huge concern. But when he is healthy, I think he's the best shortstop in baseball. I really do believe that. Um, so I, I think the, the point of bringing up Young is even though he didn't have the experience in those negotiations, Think about the players that he was able to bring to Texas. High quality, big name, big price players. Um, and I think it just shows that you don't necessarily need to be in these meetings for 20 years of experience to finally convince players to come to your your organization. So I I don't necessarily want Breslow to, to pass out, you know, 12-year deals either. Um, but I'm intrigued by just someone with a pitching background leading the organization because I I really thought that would have been Bloom's DNA coming from Tampa um, because usually their pitching is fantastic and their hitting is kind of so-so, but um, he really showed he did not have a pitching background based on the fact that he was bringing in guys that nobody ever heard of and they were leading the staff. Um, it just was rough. So I'm intrigued, but uh, I would, I would say there's definitely a whole lot of risk. I would say Breslow that probably has the most risk out of any of the candidates right now. He could, he absolutely could. Um, I remain, he's my number two at this point of, of all the names, uh, you know, mentioned that seem to be still in the process. Uh, another one, I continue to be a hard no on this guy. Um, I, I would take, I mean, I'm such a hard no that I, I would take Breslow over him and that's Eddie Romero. Um, 
I've said it previously, but I, I just don't think he's the fresh mind and the fresh set of eyes that's going to overhaul that pitching program. And I think if if he had the influence to do that, I think it already would have been done by now. I remember coming up to this year's trade deadline, he made a, a comment to the media that uh, this was like in mid-July as they were approaching the de- trade deadline. He said there there's very little room for error here if we're going to be buyers. You know, we need to win. And I, I just found it interesting that he was giving that quote, that it wasn't coming from Bloom or, or even O'Halloran. It, it was Eddie Romero uh, discussing that. And I I also wondered at the time, I'm like, part of the reason why I wondered why it wasn't Haim, I'm like, geez, has he already lost influence? Like, is he like on his way out now that other voices are, you know, giving their thoughts? But, you know, he, he still had another two months to go before he ultimately did get fired. But I just, I, I like Eddie Romero in his current role. You know, he's responsible for bringing in Bogarts, Bayo. Uh, I think Devers as well. He he's the international signing guy. You know, he coordinates the scouting and and typically makes the recommendations on who we need to sign, you know, from those international markets. I think he's been phenomenal and I'd just rather him stay there, but what are your thoughts on Romero? I'm intrigued by Romero. Um I've read a lot of different articles, people who are just talking about the Red Sox situation. And a lot of people really have a lot of respect for Romero. Um, The fact that he has led an entire department gives a little bit of confidence because you're going to be leading the entire thing. So the fact that he has led something in an organization, um, I feel like is a, a good starting point. But I think you also have to look at the last couple of years. I mean, he's been there. And how much uh, how much of his handprint is really on the last couple of years under Bloom? You know, I, I, how much say did he have? Um, I, I don't know. I, I'd be curious to know how much Bloom valued his opinion. You know, on, on certain decisions, but um, I, I would be more intrigued if, say, Breslow was the guy or. Of, of like the head of baseball ops or Levine was the head of baseball ops. And then they just named Romero as the general manager or something like that. I would be intrigued by that, but I don't know if I, I really don't want Romero being the number one guy. I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's probably the most likely because if things don't go the way the ownership group is hoping for, they know they have him as a fallback and he'll just accept the job because it's going to be a significant pay increase and he will finally have the the full say. But um, I don't know. It makes you wonder with Cora because we've heard so many things about him wanting to go into the front office. I feel like if the Red Sox were to name Romero as the number one guy, that would probably be the easiest path to naming Cora to the front office in the future. You know, I I don't think there would be a whole lot of risk of saying, well, we we have Romero, but we don't want to get rid of him. If he's not doing a good job or they're not happy with things, then they could just say, well, Alex Cora, you're now going to replace Romero. Like, I feel like if you bring in Levine, 
I don't see him being here for two or three years. And I, I think the Red Sox have to get get out of that terrible um, cycle of going through GM so quickly because that's why people really do not want this position. If you struggle for a year or um, you, you have to win in this position or you're gone with this ownership group and – you know, it's just it's a bad trend with um, Charrington, Dombrowski, and Bloom, and they just have had such turnover so quickly, um, probably quicker than any other front office in in baseball. You definitely bring up some good points here. Um, I don't the the reason I don't think it's going to be Romero is because. If the Red Sox turn to him and, and give him the spot, I think they're going to be conceding that, well, we're giving it to him because everybody else rejected us that we wanted. And so I, I think in order to save face, it, it would have to go to one of the other people. Now, uh, just to refresh some of the, the names that did um, basically um, – bow out uh, from the opportunity to, to fill that spot. Brandon Gomes, as I mentioned earlier, Derek Falvey, who this is the second time they've uh, targeted him. Uh, James Click, who uh, Cotillo was just saying he would have probably gotten the job had he wanted it. They would have probably would have taken him. Uh, Kim Ang, uh, also only less than 48 hours after opting out of her mutual option with the Miami Marlins, uh, basically, um, declined to take part in this process. That surprised me. I thought she would probably, um, be motivated to, to try to take that position, but all these, all these guys are out and, you just mentioned, you know, the Red Sox need to get out of this rut where they're burning through these executives like this next next executive. I mean, you really have to think that if the Red Sox want to restore the the respect and credibility throughout throughout the league, you know, as a as a respectable uh, institution, you know, they they need this next executive to not only work out, but be here for maybe seven or eight years. You go back through the last few, uh, Hein Bloom didn't get a contract extension. Dave Dombrowski, no contract extension. Ben Sherrington, no contract extension. I'm assuming Theo got one because he he was the, the GM for nine seasons, so there, there must have been an extension in there. He had that weird thing where he quit for a couple months or whatever. Uh, that was in 2005. Famously left Fenway Park in a gorilla suit on Halloween so nobody would recognize him leaving. Um, but they worked through that. He came back, uh, you know, won another World Series, came pretty close uh, a couple other times. But um, but they, they, need to, they need to get back to the Epstein era, e even if that only means being a perennial threat year in and year out. They, they need to get back to that. And Epstein at the time was the perfect balance. His trades were really good. Um, he developed a lot of talent. Uh, you know, he signed some key extensions. He was able to keep the Pedroia 
um, buckled Lester core um, together by giving them, I think he bought up some of their arbitration, added options on. So, I mean, that's what you need to get back to. Um, and I just don't see how are the Reds, who are they going to attract in three or four years? If, if they fire this guy, you know, I, I just don't see how you can do it. I guess that's when you can put core in. You keep be like, well, screw it. We're just going to put our own guy in. I guess that's a possible out, but, but I, they got to stop burning through them. And I mean, would you agree that the three most prestigious, you know, baseball organizations are, are the Red Sox, the Yankees and the Dodgers? I mean, historically, those are the top three, right? Yeah, I would agree. I would probably put the Cubs probably closely behind the Dodgers because I, I do think they are pretty prestigious. But I think the Sox are, are number two. I, I really do, especially when you just think of the history of Fenway Park. Like it's just a it's a it's an iconic you know organization. Um, and in terms of finances, they're I feel like they're top ten or top fifteen in all of sports. So they have so much money. Um, but you, you talk about the, the turnover and it, it is a, such a concern, but the fact that they don't even want to interview, like that is just mind blowing. Like bef- when, when you go all the way back and you look at when Billy Bean turned down the, the job, he at least interviewed, you know what I mean? At least hear out what the front office is going to present, you know, what's their offer? What are they thinking in terms of resources be- that you, you'll have, at, at your fingertips, these people don't even want to do it. They don't even want to sit down and, and hear them out. And I think that just shows you the the situation. It, it's that bad right now. Um, do you think that the fact that John Henry is pretty much non-existent right now um, around the ball team, do you think that plays a part or do you think that doesn't play anything? I, I don't know that that necessarily plays a part, but he he basically has a, a lengthy history at this point of not taking responsibility for things that don't go right. Uh, a, an example of that, uh, an early example of that could be the whole Lester debacle when they lowballed him and then they kind of had to trade him because they didn't have the confidence they, they would bring him back. Uh, and then when Sherrington got fired. I don't think that was super egregious, especially when a guy like Dave Dombrowski comes up and, you know, we've Dombrowski and we'll get to him in a minute, but he, he, he's gotten a lot of criticism in recent years, but he was the GM of the Tigers for quite a while before he built that thing into the wagon. It became, you know, with Verlander and Scherzer and Miguel Cabrera uh, Victor Martinez, you know, and he he had to build that, you know, basically from the ground up, and he did. So, you know, when when he became available, it was almost a no brainer to fire Sherrington to get that guy. You know what I mean? And then they fired Dombrowski, and they got a lot of criticism, not so much for firing him, but the way they handled the firing by refusing to meet with the media to discuss the reasons behind it. And I don't think they ever officially did, uh, you know, talk, talk to the media about it. And Dombrowski to this day still harbors a little bit of, you know, resentment towards the Red Sox for how, you know, for, for his exit. 
And, you know, and now, I mean, with the bloom firing, I, I still don't know how that was perceived. I mean, you look at the record, uh, the pitching was trash. The trades were bad. I mean, not a great record there, uh, but they didn't address the media. They trotted Sam Kennedy out there and, and had him. I mean, he's the, he's the, the press secretary, <laughs> essentially for for Red Sox ownership. So I think that has a lot to do with it as well. You know, they're not they're a very cold, you know, group that makes a lot of brutal decisions and doesn't seem to care to um you know, to express why they came to the decisions they did. There was no explanation for the Dombrowski firing. There really wasn't because three division titles, a World Series, and then he finishes in third place and he's gone. And it just, I think the spending got to the point where they're like, we just, we need to, we need to cut finances. And he's not the guy to do that. But to not come out and say anything after he really put the Red Sox on the map again, because they had, you can't forget that during Charrington's years, he was in last place three out of the four years. So, you know, the Dombrowski really brought them back out of the cellar, kind of like if someone were to come in now and put, you know, put them back on the map for two or three years, they'd be doing exactly what Dombrowski did. You know, I, I don't think, I, I don't see that happening as easily as Dombrowski made it happen. That, that just seems so simple. He was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this. And then he went out and did it. And that was what, so that was what I loved about Dombrowski is he had a plan. He told you his plan and then he just went out and did it. And with bloom, it's like, you just kept hearing, Oh, we're in on this guy. Are you really? And it turned out they weren't. And it just kept, it was over and over They're They're checking in on this guy. They're checking in on this guy. And it got to the point where it's like, you hear they're checking in on this guy, but you know what the end price tag is going to be. And there's no way Bloom's going to do that because he never did it in his tenure with the Red Sox. So I, I just, I'm not saying I want a full Dombrowski type GM where he comes in and he's making all these crazy trades. But if you look back, the trades, for the most part, name a trade that he lost as the Red Sox GM. I don't know if you're going to find one. Can you think of a trade where you can say that's an absolute loss as the Red Sox general manager? The hardcore Dombrowski supporters will say that. And the only notable guy that ever amounted to anything, and it wasn't like he became a perennial all-star, was Moncada. But that's the one trade you had to make anyway. I mean, you had to trade for Chris Sale. And... But besides that, I mean, you didn't, none of the guys in the farm system, it, it was almost fraudulent that that was a, a top three or four <laughs> farm system, you know, because none of them were good. They, they were yeah. all bad. And I, I remember the, 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 the Kimbrel trade, the, the, the pieces that they traded there. Now, I guess you could say uh, Manny Margot, he became a, he's a good big, big league player. But he certainly wasn't the, I think he, at the time, he was a top three prospect in the Red Sox system. Like they were, the people were really high on him. And there was a pitcher, a starting pitcher who went to San Diego as well. And everyone thought he was going to be this ace, like Pedro-like. 
Yeah. And I'm blanking on his name, but it, it was like Esperanza something. Oh, Espinoza. Yeah. Espinoza. I forget yeah. his first name. And he had to have, I think he had Tommy John not long after that and never, never mounted. And the Pomeranz trade, he got so much flack, you know, for how his tenure ended. But no, nobody... Nobody ever talks about the fact that he was a, he was a solid number two pitcher for all of 2017 behind Chris Sale. Yep. He was very good. And in 2016, we got swept by, you know, the Indians at the time, the Guardians now. Um, and he wasn't he didn't end up being, a, you know, a force necessarily, but he helped stabilize us as we finished the season that year. So. That was a really good trade, and the the problem I had with Dombrowski, and I was just thinking about this earlier. I'm like, well, how could he have saved his job? The price contract didn't work out that great. I, you know, he didn't live up to it, and we ended up, you know, putting him in the Mookie deal. So perhaps that wasn't good, but at the same time, nobody else was that great. I guess Grinky was good for maybe three or four out of the six years. So I guess you could have went with him, but there was all this talk about, well, he, he could struggle in a big market because, you know, he's open about his, you know, struggles with anxiety and you can kind of sympathize. Okay. So maybe Boston's not good for him. Yeah, Jordan Zimmerman, and this is one of my worst takes ever. I was a big supporter of bringing in Zimmerman because, to me, he was the value guy. Like, you don't got to unload the Brinks truck. He's he's only going to be $20 million a year as opposed to 30 you know, to 32 or whatever. But that didn't work out well for the Tigers. And uh, Johnny Cueto was the other one in there, and he didn't work out. So it was going to be a bust no matter what if you were targeting one of the bigger free agents that winter. Um, but where, where Dombrowski really started to lose me was, um, the sale extension, you know, tons of red flags. You could have just had him play out that year. If he won the Cy Young in 2019, I would have just paid the penalty of having to overpay him, but it turned out he had a UCL tear by August. And then they tried to, I think they did the PRP injections. And then by middle of spring training, he had Tommy John, but that wasn't good. I hated the Evaldi signing when it happened. I thought four years, 68, that's a massive commitment, you know, to a guy who hasn't really established himself. Um, so that wasn't great. So I did have concerns about the sustainability, you know, of the organization. And we, I was in the, honest to God, you can go back and listen to the shows. So I'm pretty sure you can go back this far. Um, Summer of 2019, I did question whether or not he would be fired because he his contract was up. So when you look at the sustainability concerns, I mean the farm wasn't great, albeit he didn't he didn't really trade anyone of consequence, but still, I mean Bobby Dahlbeck was one of your top prospects, um, and then you you had these massive deals on the books. So I'm like, geez, you know, I mean it didn't seem like a sure thing that he would get an extension with the concerns, but fast forward to now what he's done in Philly has been amazing. They were like the number 26, 27th ranked farm. When he took over, it's up to 18th right now. That's not a massive leap, but it's, it's trending the right way. He hasn't made a dumb signing. 
I, who knows how the Trey Turner thing will end up, but I mean, he's 30 years old, making 30 million a year uh, until his age 40 season. The uh, Brandon Marsh for Ryan O'Hoppy trade or Logan O'Hoppy. I keep watching it. Um, that was a great trade. That was a classic Dave Dombrowski fleece job. And, you know, Marsh is not an elite outfielder, but an above average guy. And uh, Stott has turned out they lost Reese Hopkins in, in spring training and they they've surged. It hasn't even mattered. And, you know, he inherited, I think, Wheeler and uh, obviously Nola. Uh, another thing, too, he, he refused to overpay for Nola. He gave him a, a five-year, $100 million extension offer. That that probably was low, but but he wasn't going to give him a massive $250 million deal. Like, old Dave Dombrowski would do that. I think he's I think he's learned from his mistakes. I think he's kind of adapted to the present day mindset when it comes to, you know, balancing out your farm, balancing out your roster. And I think this is one of his finest uh, performances as a as a GM. And I laughed so hard when the Phillies signed him. I'm like, I'm like, this is never going to work out. He is just going to run this organization in the ground. I I sent a DM to, um, I forget his name because I haven't interacted with him in literally years, but um, he's a Phillies podcaster. Um, I think it's called The Good Fight, and uh, fight is spelled with a P-H, um, you know, to kind of go with the, you know, the Philly theme. And I told him, I'm like, man, you guys are going to regret this. Oh, man, is this a bad hire? And he defended it. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I had a front row seat, you know, to what he does. And and I, I couldn't have been more wrong. And I'm glad to be wrong because like you, I liked Dombrowski throughout his tenure. And I respected the transparency that, you know, he always gave us. So that's why I'm rooting hard for the Phillies. But. But yeah, yeah. I, his his work. If you look at just all the teams he's built, you know what you don't find on the rosters. What's that? You don't find no names. Like the the, the entire lineup is guys you 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 heard of, and it, it, it's it's guys who can drive the ball out of the ballpark. The Detroit lineup was scary. The Red Sox lineup was scary. This Phillies lineup is scary. And it's so like their, their, their ability to do left, right, left, right. Like it's just, it's a well-developed roster for today's game. And um, I, I guess probably your, your biggest complaint of any roster he's built is probably the bullpen, you know, because the Tigers bullpen failed them. Uh, the Red Sox bullpen was certainly shaky in 18 when Kimbrell, you know, kind of lost control. But there were pieces around them that they, you know, they figured it out. But um, the Phillies bullpen has been really, really good. It's the hardest throwing bullpen in baseball. But he still, he still is riding Kimbrel, you know, to with that. that. I don't know if that's wise, but the bullpen's been good. So uh, what he's done in Philly has been amazing because they already had the core of Wheeler. And they made the massive investment to Harper. So why wouldn't you spend the next four or five years giving out 
fairly large contracts to guys like Schwarber and Castellanos. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Because now is when you should be trying to win with Harper. And that's exactly what Dombrowski's done. Um, sure, the Turner deal, it, it could end bad at the end, but everybody, if you watch MLB Network when those deals went on, everyone said, well, it's not, you know, the last two, three years, it's just to 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 lower the, AA, the AAV. And the end, you know, who cares what you get? So if that's really the mentality, and this is a slam dunk for Dombrowski. Um, the one thing I wanted to add, you had said basically the only concern yet at the end was, you know, the, the Evaldi deal and the the sale de- the sale deal with those massive contracts. I think one of the the bigger failures of Dombrowski was the inability to get Mookie signed maybe in 2016. I think if he could have came in and said, I'm going to extend Mookie Betts, I think that could have went a long way. And obviously the, the the ownership group, we don't know what their their viewpoint was on, how high they were willing to go, if they really wanted Betts here for the next decade, who knows. But if Dombrowski would have came in and said, this is my guy I'm building around, you know, I think that could have changed things because, you know, Mookie Betts would still be a Red Sox. So I think he waited way too long to to really give an aggressive offer. Um, but maybe he looked at the Miguel Cabrera deal and he said, you know what, I, I gave Miguel Cabrera a lot of money when I had doubts about how he would age. And Miguel Cabrera, that was such a bad contract. So maybe he was trying to learn from something that he had made a mistake. Um, but I, I do think the inability to extend players um, maybe is a weakness for Dombrowski because you know you brought up Nola as well, but um, there's no question he can build a winning team. Uh, he's done it with multiple organizations now, and it's probably. I mean, I guess people would say Cashman is still probably the best best GM of the last 20 years based on what he did with the Yankees. But I, I think Dombrowski's the best GM I've seen in my lifetime, just because he's done it with so many teams. Well, I, I think Cashman, I don't think he's a good GM at all anymore. I thought he was good like 98 through 2010. And I think the difference between him and Dombrowski is Dombrowski did adapt a, a lot more. I, I don't think Cashman has. And it's mind boggling to me. I just, if I were a Yankees fan, knowing my personality and how how important it is for you know for me in terms of accountability you know being held i just i don't think i could be a yankees fan that's just brutal they're bringing in like an outside analytics organization to help cashman you know you know get the system going again it's just so bad but um with dombrowski though with Schwarber and Castellanos, like those are sustainable deals. Those are very sustainable, very short term. If he wants to trade either one of them this winter, he could do that. He might not get a big haul, but he could probably get all the salary off. You know, he can he can eliminate the salary. Um, Harper came in. That was the previous administration, but you know I, that's aging very well. And now that he's playing first base, maybe you do get the value out of those later years because that's where aging players tend to end up is first base or DH. So I'm not I'm not I'm actually more pessimistic about the Turner deal than I am the Harper deal for some reason. Long term, I mean, but 
I just think I think Dombrowski is has done a great job. I'm I'm glad I'm wrong. And I mean, the dude's a badass. Like that, he's a badass GM. That's that's how I look at him. He's got the swagger. I mean, who's respected more? Maybe Anthopolis. I think he's the best GM in baseball. But but man, I mean, he, like you said, he builds wagons. He builds wagons. That's what he does. And he's done it. And he tells you he's going to build the wagon. <laughs> you know, he's like, the, it's like, a. he reminds me of like uh, the Western movies where they just face off. Like Dombrowski is one of those guys. He would just stand there and face off with you because he's telling you exactly what his plan is. I'm going to go out. We need to add a starting pitcher. We're going to go get a starting pitcher. And he does it. And it's just everything around baseball. It's like everything is so close and, you know, they, they keep it so tight and they don't want anyone to know the plan. He just says it. <laughs> he just says it and does it, and it's refreshing. And I think after four years of Bloom, I, I really miss that very much. Very yeah. much. I appreciate it. A, a thing I read about Dombrowski, and this is just in the last several days, he he turned that Phillies job down four times. He, three or four times. They tried to talk him into it, and I, I forget which executive um, that was trying to do it. And then the owner, I forget his first name. It might actually, I think it's John Middleton. Um, he's the owner of the Phillies. He had to call Dombrowski personally and and get the deal done. And and when he he said when he called Dombrowski, it wasn't that he was necessarily trying to get him to take the job. He just wanted to know why. He's like, why do you keep rejecting us? You know. And one thing led to another. Dombrowski gets hired. Another thing, too, that he doesn't get a ton of credit for was how he fired Joe, Joe Girardi. He just fired him, like, early in the season. Like, he didn't drag it out. I, that's another knock, I think. He, he probably could have fired John Farrell early in uh, 2017, and, and, and then, you know, who knows what would have happened. They, they had, there was a clubhouse culture problem with the Red Sox that year. Um, and so, but it's another instance where he learned from his mistakes. Things weren't going well and he fires Girardi. And another thing too, um, I don't know why I'm terrible with first names. Uh, this show Thompson, their manager, what's his first name? I forget, but Jason. No, 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 it's not Jason. Rob Thompson. I think Rob. That, that's his name. I wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, he had an interview, uh, or maybe it was just a statement that was quoted just in the last couple of days. He says they don't script out their pitching. I hate that term too, but that is the term how they script out the game. They pre-plan it. Okay. So many innings of this guy. Then we turn to this guy, then this guy, then this guy out of the bullpen. Yeah. The, the, the thought guy for the diamondbacks, they said he had 18 batters. I just, that's a mind boggling thing that. They they limited his exact number of batters. Well, that's two times through. So yes, uh, yeah. but like no more than eighteen. It didn't matter if he was throwing like he was. Yeah, eighteen was the number. And did you hear that, Tori Lavello? Did you hear what they what he said after the game? No, they, they asked him if if um we are you offended that fans were booing you? And he's like, no, I was booing myself as I walked to the mound. But that was <laughs> our plan before the game. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And but Rob Thompson, manager of the Phillies, he says he doesn't do that. He just he just 
goes by feel and instinct and that's how he does it that's as old school as you can get and when i when i heard that i that line from moneyball where it's one of the narrators says nobody reinvents baseball uh, that just came to my mind i'm like the phillies are just doing it old school you know they're crapping on all the analytics and you know, just doing what's what's tried and true. So uh, I didn't think we were going to go that far on Dombrowski, but uh, I hope we love the next GM uh, just as much. But I hope so. Thoughts? But it's just disappointing to see the lack of interest. I, as a as a Sox fan, this job should be one of the most coveted jobs. And it does not feel like that at all. It really, you know, you, you see people like listing, they, they'll take a picture of like a long growing list. And it's like, that's what the job for the Red Sox has become. Everybody's got their name in, on the list, but nobody wants it. And it's all, almost become like a laughing joke. And uh, I hope John Henry, he probably doesn't care, but I, I hope he realizes that things have changed that it's not highly regarded like it once was. Um, but I would think by the end of the week, we will get an answer on who will be running the Red Sox because you have five days after the World Series before people can be signed. So they need to uh, sign someone for this job so that they can come up with a plan, and you need more than a couple of days to come up with a plan for the offseason. So I would imagine something is going to be happening soon. I would think by probably Thursday or Friday we'll um, we'll have an answer. And we went through five names. Not necessarily all five of them are getting interviews a second time. Those are just the names we can't rule out that, you know, we can't rule out the fact that they're not in the process right now. They're, there's, um, you know, Levine, Breslow, Romero, Kapler, and Huntington. So... Uh, hopefully two of them don't get interviews, uh, from here, but they might, but it almost certainly will be one of those five guys. So we'll see. All right. Uh, we'll probably be back, uh, or at least a few of us, uh, in the next couple of nights. Cause these LCS, uh, series, uh, are going to be wrapping up, uh, interesting situation in, uh, game six right now in Houston, but, uh, so we'll be back to predict the World Series. And if anything does happen to develop, we'll be back to cover that. So everyone have a great start to your work week. Take care.